0: Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be the oldest I've ever been preaching. Now that I'm 49, I know I only look 29, amen? Amen. (laughs) Not one amen, not even for my wife. 69, probably around there. Yes. You know what they say, the more ha- birthdays you have, the longer you live, so it's kind of a exciting, well, man, rough crowd this morning, I'll tell you that much. But now that I'm 49 and wiser, oh, baby Oliver's here, I didn't even know, wonderful baby Oliver's here, and we're so thankful, beautiful name, Oliver Jeremy, isn't that beautiful, and a Actually, Howell, no, middle name there, so we're thankful to the Lord. Let's see if he obeys himself. Okay, so, you know, last week I'm preaching my heart out, it's snowing out, and baby Oliver decides to come at 9 o'clock, 9.30, right, was it when he came, 9.30, so praise the Lord uh, for that, and um, let's talk about something serious. Now, at 49 years old, I've seen quite a bit in just my 20 years of ministry, I have seen pastors leave their families for another man. I have seen a missionary who was ministering to the police department, rape one of the police department's daughters and is now in federal prison. I've seen treasurers rob churches, embezzle money, one was a heroin addict and, and drug addict and, and and prostitutes using the church's money. A million dollars. Mm. I have seen leaders in different kinds of sc- cover scandals and end up in, in jail or arrested because of that. Even one I really looked up to in my life was later found embezzling money. And um left the church and left my friend to take the, the blame for it. and my friend ended up out of the ministry because of what this man did to him. I've seen it far too often. It scares me. I am not above that. I am a sinner as well, saved by grace. But sometimes I think when we come to leadership, we look at the wrong things and ask the wrong questions. And that's why we end up with some of these things that we see. And so what Paul does is he wants to direct our attention at the things that we should be looking at, the things that should concern us and we should want, not only out of the leaders' lives, but our own lives as well. And that's why um, in verses 1 and on, in verses 1 to 3, we saw three things last week as the snow was coming down and I was preaching to one family twice. We saw this. It was beautiful. And, and we saw that the three different things that he tells us to look at. The first thing he tells us to look at in verse 1 we saw it was that the person needs to have a servant's heart. A heart that really cares about other people. He's not after the position. He doesn't care about the authority. It's not about all that stuff. It's about serving God's people. He has a God-given desire to serve God's people. He cares about souls. This is a heart's desire that comes in and he aspires it. He reaches after it. He wants it. We saw that. Without that, he shouldn't be in it. The second thing that we see is let's not look at credentials. In every other job, we're worried about credentials. Can this guy speak? Does he have a degree? Is this guy this and that? This guy that? No, what we should be looking at is character. Character matters to God more than credentials. How is the person's heart? Does he have blinders on? I used the word blinkers last week and everyone got mad. You got laughed at me. Go to New York City. It's blinkers. A horse has blinkers. But you guys have just humor. It's blinders, right? He's a one-woman man. He's not out looking to see what other woman he can have. and not in his mind and his heart enough, and nothing. He's satisfied with the woman that God has given him. He's temperate and prudent. We saw different things. He's respectable. He opens up his home. He doesn't need to drink. He could drink, but he doesn't need to drink. He's not a Rocky Balboa. He's not fighting with everybody. He doesn't hold a grudge. That's a hard one. Because you are criticized a lot. And not to hold a grudge. He's gentle. He seeks peace. And it's definitely not about money. It's character. It's about character. And God, we look at him exemplifying godly character. Then we saw, as the snow kept coming down and the one family stayed by God's grace, what we saw was this, is that the person needs to be apt to what? Teach. Needs to know the Bible. And not only be able to speak the Bible, but defend the Bible. Somebody says comes into the church and says, you need to change what you believe so that I can become a member here. Wait a minute. Let's look at the scriptures. What does it say? He needs to know the Bible. And now, in verse 4 and on... He's going to give three more things that we ought to be looking at. And really, I pray that these things matter to all of us, not just to the leadership. He starts in verse 4 talking about the home. Watch this. He says, he must be one who manages his own household well. The word household is oikos in the Greek. You say, why is that important? Because in verse 15, in the same text, in chapter 3, he calls the church of God oikos, a family. In other words, he's saying church is family. We are all brothers and sisters, praise God. And if you believe in Jesus, I should say, I got I to qualify that. Because some people say, hey, brother, and they don't even know if the person's saved or not. We are all brothers and sisters once we come to Christ and we have one father, and we are a family. That's what's beautiful about church. And he directs his attention first to the, to the leader's home. He must manage his own household, his own oikos first. Now, interesting, the word manage there is not a person that just is a dictator and says, these are my rules, my way to highway, kids, or you're in big trouble, I will knock your teeth out. Some people do manage their homes like that, and that's not God's way. The word manage speaks of compassionate governing for caring, for leading, for directing. In verse 5, he uses the word for taking care of the house of God, the church of God. In other words, there's care there. There's concern there. He is worried about He He cares about his family. He doesn't ignore his family. He doesn't use the lie that the devil likes to give us. We, We need to serve God at the expense of our families. God never says that. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe we have to give our lives to God to serve him and forget about our families. God never says that. We don't serve God at the expense of our families. Our family is our ministry. Yeah. And we care about them. There is a managing there. There's a directing there. There's a discipline there. There is order there in the home. Here's what's amazing. Sometimes I think that as... As as parents, we are so misguided in what we want for our children. Some of us want our children to make a lot of money or to be nice kids or to to meet some nice people or just to be nice. We miss what God wants for our kids. You say, what does God want for our kids? I want to show you something here, a passage of scripture that really touched my heart. 1 Thessalonians. A couple of pages back. Sorry, it's not going to be on the screen here. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, a couple of pages back. I want to show you in verses 11 and 12, some of my favorite verses when it comes to parenting that really struck my heart of what God would want. Now, you guys know when every kid is born, Oliver, listen up. When every kid is born, they have three stripes against them. Ready for this? First, Oliver has a sin nature. Doesn't seem like it. Looks perfect, right? Everything beautiful. That is a sinner. All right? Second thing, Oliver was born into a sinful world. not that beautiful? With sinful people all around. This is a wicked world that you brought all... Shema, you. you brought all in a wicked world. Do I know the third strike? And this is probably the hardest strike against Oliver. Not only does he have himself to deal with, not only does he have other people to deal with, he has sinful parents who are flawed. Even though they're very, they look perfect. They are flawed. We all are flawed. So how do we parent? I mean, I, I, my kid has a sinful nature. My, my, my kid lives in a sinful world and my kid had sinful me to deal with. Watch this. Look at this. This is beautiful. He says here, he uses three participles, three things that we ought to do with our kids. Verse 11, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11. He says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his children. What is he saying there? He's saying that we come alongside our kids and we're their cheerleaders. We, we exhort them. We encourage them. We're there for them. We not only do that, we exhort them. We pick them up off the floor because there's times when they're gonna fail and they're gonna look at this world and say, does this world even make sense? What do I do in this world? We're there to pick them up off the ground. And then not only that, we're there to implore them, to show them, hey, this is how you ought to live because if not, there are consequences out there of what will happen to you if you don't. Now what's the goal? Here it is, verse 12. We're there alongside of them, we're picking them up off the floor, we're warning them, To do what? Verse 12. So that they would walk in a manner, what? Worthy of God. There's what we want. We want them to please God. Who cares if they make six figures? Who cares if they, we got asked a question by one of our kids, Ellie. She goes, Dad, would you be upset if I married someone who was (laughs) 6'9"? Isn't that a beautiful question? I've always wanted to have a basketball team. This is my time now, my grandkids. Six nine? I mean, I'm close, but six nine? I said, Ellie, you're asking the wrong question, sweetie. I said, it isn't whether or not the person is six nine. Can you glorify God and please God with him? That's the question. I don't care if he's four or nine. Well, maybe I could look down on it. <laughs> we need to ask the right questions as parents and, and want the right things for our children. And he's saying that we come alongside them and we encourage them and pick them up and we and we and we implore them to do what? To live a life that is pleasing to God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, going back to first. Timothy chapter 3, here's what he says what we ought to be looking at. He says this, he says, he must manage his own household well. We're going to get back to that word well. This is how he does it. He's keeping his children under what? Control. In other words, there is order in the home. There is discipline in the home. There is respect in the home. But what I never picked up from verse 4, which is amazing, he does this with all dignity. In other words, he takes this serious. This is serious to him. This is not just another thing out there. This is important to him. This is, this, this is what he understands that God has called him. This is his ministry, his family. He loves his family. He wants to be with his family. He cares for his family. This is a serious thing. He understands that kids will rebel, and boy, do they. (laughs) But there's dignity. There's seriousness there. There's respect there. Because there's responsibility there. He's not an absentee father, he's there for his children. He cares for his children. And his children are not just doing anything they want at any time and just disrespect. No, there's respect there because he's a responsible parent. Doesn't mean that they're always perfect. Doesn't mean that they always do everything we want. Wouldn't that be nice? Remember the three strikes against them. But there is dignity there in the home. Now, look at this in verse 4. He does this well. The word well is beautiful. It's attractive. Other people want this. It's well. He's not just doing it just to do it because he has to do it. He does it. He wants to do it. He does it well. People see it and say, Wow, we want that. I'll never forget the missionary who was down in Argentina for years, years, witnessing the people. And finally, he got a knock on his door from the neighbors. And they said, This, we're watching your children, and we want their God. You know what his philosophy of parenting was? I'll never forget. He said, Jeremiah, I I always thought that if I show what's important to my kids, what's important to me, it'll become important to them. And God's important to me. And guess what? God became important to them. What a philosophy. He says he does it well. He shows it well. (laughs) And it's hard with control. I got a Johnny story for you. We're new in Argentina. I'm preaching on a Wednesday night. I'm all excited. And I'm preaching about how we need to cry out to God. And here comes Johnny, slips out of Katie's hands. How old was he, three, four? Maybe. Joshua in in her arms. And Johnny comes running to the pulpit. I said, Johnny, um, I'm preaching right now. Can you go sit down? No! Right in front of the whole church. Now what am I gonna do? Johnny, um, sweet, please go sit. No! Okay. Church, excuse me. I need to go take care of a matter. I pick up Johnny. We go into a side room and I taught him how to cry out for God. (laughs) It fit my point. I was teaching the church, cry out for God. I taught him how to cry out for God. I came back. I'll never forget how the church reacted to that. They they were shocked. This is Argentina. You don't mess with kids. Kids rule, parents drool. You know, kids do whatever they want. You don't mess with kids. They came up to him afterwards and they apologized to Johnny. Oh, poor, pobrecito Johnny. I'm so sorry that your dad taught you how to cry out to God. I am so sorry. The pastor's wife, who we were working with, came up to Katie and says, I am so glad you did. The people need an example. It is hard. There isn't a week that goes by I don't feel as a failure as a father. This is not like this is an easy thing to do, but it ought to be a concern of our hearts. Because it is so much easier to talk to people outside the home than it is to work with people inside the home. And God help us if we ever use God as an excuse to neglect the people he's put in our homes. Here's why. Look at verse 5. I can't even make this up. What does he say? But if the man does not know how to manage his own household... I mean, if he can't take care of one, two, three, whatever God gives him, maybe four or five, some have eight kids. If he can't take care of his own household, how are you going to put him in the household of God and tell him you need to take care of the household of God? Oh, you can't do two, but why don't you do 200? That doesn't make sense. If he's not worried and concerned about his own home, why are you going to tell him to be worried and concerned about God's people? That doesn't make sense. It starts there. It starts with opening the Bible and reading to your children. It starts praying for them, caring for them, watching them, being there for them, being their encourager, being their cheerleader, picking them up off the floor and imploring them to walk with God. Doesn't mean they're going to respond. God doesn't give any guarantee of that. I wish he did. And some, and I know you've lived through it, that have children who have walked away from God. There is, we would give up anything so that they would walk with God. But don't put that pressure on you. God doesn't put that pressure on us. He just says, be faithful in what he's called you to do. They need to respond. Think of the heavenly father that's perfect and how many rebellious children he has. But why would we take somebody who's not going to care for his own children and put him in leadership and expect him to take care of God's children? That doesn't make sense. I I, I tell people, and, and, and Stephen You know, I mess with him a little bit. But man, I tell you, he takes this parenting thing seriously. I know he walked up. He takes this thing seriously. He really does. Holding the kids, doing this, reading the Bible, doing everything. You know, I think to myself, wait till they become teenagers. Then we're going to see how serious. But anyway, no. But he's doing it. He's taking it. He's taking it serious. You not even know I'm talking about. He's coming into the door right now. But praise God. I mean, how many, how many young fathers? I remember, I remember telling people that I, I was seeing this one guy. He, had, he looked just like me. He had muscles everywhere. I mean, ripped to shreds. <laughs> muscles were coming out of his chest. His arms were ripped. And I see him with a little baby in his arms. I said, that's a man. That's a man. Cares about his kids. Loves his family. Paul saying, if you're looking at something, look at his heart. Look at his home. Look to see how he's taking care of his home. If he ain't managing that well, he's not going to manage the church of God well. He's not going to handle that well. Now look at the next thing he says here in verse 6. He, he can't be a new convert. In other words, there ought to be spiritual maturity there. The word there, convert, is literally newly planted. He's, he's, he's new in the faith. And let me just tell you something. There, when somebody's new in the faith, they are excited about God. Boy, they they, they understand, wow, I just got saved. I'm new in the faith. Boy, this is great. This is exciting. The Bible. I'm reading the Bible. They're all excited. Those are exciting people to be around. Some people have been in the faith for years. You know, you talked about the Bible. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But these people, they're they're like, man, this is exciting. This is wonderful. That's wonderful. We got to be careful. Because we see somebody like that, we're like, you're ready to be a pastor. No, they're not. And the danger is, is putting somebody in a position before they're ready Paul says, be careful with that. They they can't be newly planted. It takes time to show spiritual maturity. Verse 6. It takes time to show whether or not their character is going to last. It takes time to see these things. How much time? He doesn't say, but it takes time. Because what happens if we put somebody in position of leadership before they're ready? Look what happens. He will become conceited. You know, the word means to be wrapped up in smoke. They don't even, they can't see how arrogant they really are. They think that they know it all. They think that they've arrived. Let me tell you, there is nothing worse than a leader who thinks that they're there and everybody else needs to get to where they are. God help us. I may offend somebody here, but nobody here is there. We're all growing. We're all learning. And these people, when you put somebody who is new in the faith into a position of leadership, all of a sudden they see the title and they think, you know what? I made it. I know the Bible. I'm mature. These people are so immature. But I'm mature. I'm the one who's got there. Here's what's interesting about this. Notice what he says here in verse 6. They, they become conceited, right? So we don't do that unless they become conceited or they become puffed up. Typhoon is the word there. They just become so puffed up that they think that they're there. They fall into the same condemnation incurred cured by who? who? The devil. Do you remember what the devil did? The devil said, I will. Five times in Isaiah 14. And he says, I will be like the most high. I will get, I am there. God help us. We had a young guy in Argentina who was studying the Bible. Boy, he had enthusiasm for the Bible. He loved to preach. He was a great preacher. And so the missionary there put him in as a pastor. The moment he became a pastor, he couldn't take any more classes. He couldn't study anymore. Why? Because he's a pastor now. He thought he was there. know what happened to that guy? That same guy left his wife and his children for the lady that was playing the piano. Because when you have the pride, guess what comes after pride? The fall. He says, be careful. Don't don't, don't be that conceited there. Don't don't think that you've made it there. I love with Paul, 30 years of walking with the Lord. And he says, I still haven't arrived. I press on to be more like Christ. Now, look at verse 7. Here's here's another beauty here. We look at... We make sure that he's not new in the faith, that he has some spiritual maturity. And here's the last thing we're going to look at. We're going to look at he has a good reputation in the community. Now watch this. And he must have a good, there's that word, kalos. He manages his family well. He's good. He does it well. And now here's a good reputation. The word there is martyr. The same word we use, the voice of the martyrs, he's a good testimony. He's not only a testimony, he's a good testimony to who? To those who are outside the church, to those who do not believe yet in Jesus, who are watching our testimony. I'll never forget 2006, seven, around that time, when Ted Haggard, you know him? Remember him? When the reporter came running to his car and said to him, "Um, you're you're being accused of being a drug addict and and you're being accused of being a homosexual. Is this true? And I'll never forget his words. He said, I'm faithful to my wife. That's all a lie. And yet it came out that he was doing drugs and he was with men. Did it change after that came out? Later it came out that he started a church and he started to do it with two younger men. And then he moved from that church and now he's having church in his house where children are in his basement. He said, Jeremy, why do you even care about that stuff? Well, look what the passage says. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Why not? So that he will not fall into reproach. The word there is disgrace. It disgraces the name of Christ. It disgraces the church of God. It disgraces the very person who preaches Christ. It is an absolute disgrace when those things happen. When somebody was ministering to a police officer and rapes the police, that's a disgrace before God. It's a disgrace to the testimony of Christ. Can you imagine that police officer? Do you think he wants Jesus now? He says, the the pastor, the person, the leader, the elder, the, the bishop, he is not just sitting in the church, preaching to church people. He's out there in the community as well. And they're watching him. And if his character isn't the same both in the church, in the home, and outside the home, all of a sudden it becomes a disgrace. And we disgrace the name of Christ. We disgrace the church. We disgrace our families. We disgrace ourselves. And and look at this here. This this, this is an incredible passage. And look what he falls into. The snare of the devil. I've never been a sniper, but I know snipers are out there to take out the high military people. But I know one thing in my life. I have a red dot right here. And Satan is just waiting to shoot. And Satan is very patient. One person said Satan will wait 40 years. To destroy God's servants. He is patient. He will wait and he will look for just the right moment. And at that right moment, he will try to cause the greatest damage he could to the kingdom of God. He said, make sure that the person's character is the same at home, the same in church, the same out in the community. Because if not, he will disgrace his God. And disgrace God's people and he's just looking to shoot us down if he can get a Ted Haggard who is somebody who is the voice the president of the evangelical community one of the biggest churches there is in the United States 14,000 people grab him down think who else he can get all right so that makes me want to quit today <laughs> Go back to FedEx and not deal with these, boom, these shootings here and him getting me one day. No, I I just want to hide. I don't want to disgrace you. I don't want to disgrace my God. I don't want to disgrace my family. So how can I guard against that? Somebody wrote something that's really, really important. He says this. Here's what leaders need to do. They need to have intimate time with God. You guard that. You need to have a right relationship in the home, right relationship in the church, and a right relationship Outside the church. You need to have adequate rest. And then he said this, which is beautiful. You need to have honest accountability. If you're not doing well, make sure you tell somebody you're not doing well. Have those people in your life that you're free to say, hey, I'm struggling this week. Will you help me? I thank God that I have people like that. Chuck the Queen. He's a real mentor of mine. I told him this week after we got some discouraging news about the building, I said, eh, I'm done. I'm going to California. I don't know where I'm going. I'm done here. He says, hey, Jamie, do you remember when you were struggling about whether or not God was going to pay for Johnny's school and God provided for that? Don't you think God can take care of you now? I wanted to throw the phone through the window. <laughs> you need people like that in your life to tell you the honest truth. I fear that we look in all the wrong places when it comes to leadership. That we just want these people with all the titles and the good speaker and this and that. And we forget to really look. Does he want to do it? <laughs> Let's start there. And then, how's his heart? Is he living for God? Does he love the Lord? And, and then we ask, can he handle the Bible? I mean, is he able to handle the Bible? Well, that's, that's a good sign. That he's able to do that. And then we ask, how about the home? Does he care for his home? Is he really concerned about the spiritual, how the people are in the home? Are they, is he thinking about them? Is he caring? Is he concerned for them? Or is he using the name of God to neglect them? How, how is he spiritually, is there maturity there? Or has he just got saved? We've got to be careful. And then the last thing we need to be looking for is, how is this person in the community? Would they be shocked if you said, hey, so and so is a pastor? Really? Holy cow. I'll never forget, we had a guy here in the church. We were going to make him a deacon. And somebody asked me, he doesn't go to your church. Does he go to your church? I, I, I work with him. There's no way he goes to your church. I had no idea how his testimony was outside. Praise God, God protected us from making that person a deacon. We stopped it there. God knows. He's watching. Let's make what's important to Him important to us. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you so much for this passage of scripture. And Lord, we know the challenges. There are so many things that try to take the desire out of leadership make us just want to quit and do something else. There's so many times we look at your word and we fall short of the character needed to be there. There's times when we wonder, do we really even know what your word says? It's so hard at times to understand. The home life becomes out of balance, Lord, and we forget about that and and we feel that we failed there, Lord, instead of resting in your care, knowing that you just call us to do our part, Lord, whether or not the child responds, that's not up to us. Father, it's, it's easy to grab people with enthusiasm and newly saved and say, okay, well, leadership's for you. When they haven't even had a time, chance to walk with you and time to walk with you so that character will develop. And then, Lord, it's, it's easy to play the role here among people who know you, but yet how are we acting among people who don't know you, who are watching us? And the devil would like nothing else but to see leadership fall, for scandals to be on the TV, for things to happen, because it will disgrace your name, insult your name. It will insult your church. And it will insult us and and our families. So, Father, protect us. Help us to have a real walk with you, guarding that. Help us, Father, to be the same person, both inside and outside the church. Help us to have character across the board. Help us, Lord, to really care for our families and to be concerned for them and to realize that they are our ministry. It's not you or them, it's both. Father, help us to to realize, Lord, that it takes time for that character to develop. And Father, I pray, oh God, that people would see us and they would see you through us and they would want you. Thank you for the testimony that you're giving the Whitefield Community Bible Church. Thank you for the wonderful opportunities that we have. I pray that you continue to grow for your honor and glory. And Lord, finally, I pray. If there's anyone here, Lord, that still doesn't know you, this doesn't make any sense to them. That, Father, that they would realize today that you so loved the world. That you gave your only begotten son to die for all our sins, past, present, and future. That all we need to do is believe, put our trust alone in him for everlasting life. It's not by works of righteousness, which we can do, but it's just by what he has done for us, accepting Jesus into our lives, calling him to save us, and he will save us. So God, let no one leave here today without doing that if they haven't done it already. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.